we consider uh, Psalm 103. I invite you, if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, or you can find them in the sermon notes there, is to, uh, to listen as I read uh, Psalm 103. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and is gone. And in its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word obeying the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, we give You praise and thanks for Your Word. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the, uh, the Manly Men softball season started a few weeks ago. And I'm always amazed at how sore I am after playing in one of these softball games. You know, I try to stay fit and to get some exercise, but there's something about running as fast as you can to try to beat out a throw to first base or running to try to catch a ball. Now, I wouldn't dive, but I would really run hard. You just get sore doing that, that extra energy. Now, in case you're wondering, we're undefeated so far. Now, after counting runs and the one-loss record, we're not doing so great, but we're undefeated in terms of having fun, Okay. You know, when I was much younger, I, I, I would uh, I would play. Uh, I did a lot of athletics, and I exerted myself a lot more. Um, but now, it's very rare that I run as fast as I can. When was the last time you actually ran as fast as you could run? You know, it got me thinking about how often do I really give it all I've got? Where do I exert the most energy? Where do I have the most passion? You know, what is it that really gets me up early in the morning, that keeps me up late at night, that I'm willing to put in the time and the energy and the passion to do? Maybe it's not with athletics. Maybe it's at work or with your family. Where do you put in the extra hours? What is on your heart? 
and on your mind most of the time? What's that thing that drives you? In Psalm 103, the psalmist, uh, King David, says to us, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. David uses a command here. He commands us to bless the Lord with all that is within us. Every single thing that we have is to bless the Lord. Your whole heart, your whole soul, your mind and your strength, everything that is within you, your thoughts, your emotions, your intellect, your mouth, even your body should bless the Lord. The biblical meaning of the word soul is the totality of who we are, every aspect of our being. And that is what should be blessing the Lord. And yet for most of us, if not all of us, we rarely bless the Lord with all that is within us. The word bless means to kneel or to praise, to adore to salute. It's the conferring of honor, adoration, and praise. When the Lord blesses us, He reviews our needs and He responds to them. When we bless the Lord, we review His excellencies and we respond to them. Blessing the Lord is a way to honor and to praise and to remember who God is and all that He has done. And in part, that's what we do when we gather together for corporate worship. It's an opportunity to acknowledge the Lord, to put Him in His rightful place in our lives. To be reminded that He is glorious. He is majestic. He is powerful. He is good. You know, part of that opportunity is for us to gather together with other people. It's to see one another in fellowship. But the primary purpose of our corporate worship is to put our attention and our focus on the living God. It's not about us, as Psalm 115 says. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Do we put the same amount of energy and passion on our relationship with the Lord as we do in our relationship with other things? You know, often when someone is praising God uh, physically, others are embarrassed to see a person lift their hands or to clap or to respond. Now, I'm not saying that if a person who is moving is worshiping more fervently than a person who is just sitting. Because a person who is simply sitting can be worshiping passionately. Uh, But it's strange that it might make us uncomfortable that a person would desire to express themselves physically as a response to who God is and to what He has done. I mean, shouldn't God's grace cause movement in our lives? Whether it's a visible expression of praise or maybe it's our hearts being molded by His grace or our minds being transformed or our will being conformed. We should be changed by an encounter with God. Because God's presence is here just as God's presence is everywhere. If we aren't being changed, if we aren't being transformed by God's grace, Maybe we're focused more on ourselves than we are focused on God. You see, I'm convinced that the more we see who God is and the more we see what He has done, the more we're moved to worship. The more we're moved to respond to what He has done. 
mean, how many of us came this morning ready to respond with the totality of who we are? Our entire soul ready to enter into praise and thanksgiving to Jesus. I doubt any of us really came with that spirit. You know, most of us, all of us, are likely concerned not with the kingdom of God, but with the kingdom of me. We're thinking about, well, what is it that I'm going to be doing later? What will I be having for lunch? What time does the U.S. Open start? 12.30 Central. We're, people, we're wondering, do the people here, do they like me? We're here evaluating things. We're evaluating sermons. We're evaluating music. We're evaluating outfits or haircuts. We're thinking about other things. We're, we're concerned also with our kingdom. What do we get to decide? Because we rule our little kingdom. But over and over and over again, through the prayers, through the Word, through the songs, we're being reminded that there is no little kingdom. There's only one big glorious kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who is sovereign. This wonderful, beautiful reminder that it is God Almighty. That He is good and we are not And so this gathering is a reminder of the totality of that reality. And that's why every week we should never miss this gathering or one like it. It's a reminder that we need to have. And see, David calls us here in the psalm to bless God's holy name. He begins first with the blessing of God's holy name. We are simply honoring and blessing God, not for what He's doing for us, but for who He is. He is holy, which means other or or separate. He is altogether different. He is set apart from His creation. We are not like God. He is completely different. And because He is glorious and majestic and powerful, we are led to praise Him. We are led to value Him simply for who He is. To bless God's holy name. But then, David writes to us and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that, bless the Lord and forget not all His benefits. You think about benefits if you are looking for a job and you survey the package, you get the salary plus benefits, Right? These are the benefits that we receive of being in relationship with God. David calls us to forget not all his benefits. He's reminding us of all the ways that we are blessed because you and I are likely to not remember that God has indeed blessed us. The first one in verse 3 says, Who forgives all your iniquity. Think about this one. That your sin, all your sin, has been forgiven. I mean, think about the the worst sin that you've ever committed in your entire life. Everything. This sin that has corrupted us, it has separated us from God, it has affected our relationships with us, with God. The Lord forgives all of the crimes that you've ever committed, the hateful things that you have said to the people that you love, or the hateful things that you have thought about, infidelity and stealing, intentional lies. Everything. And even the so-called little things. The selfish thoughts that you had this morning. The, the, the mumbling or the murmuring under your breath about something that you didn't like. Your impatience. Your frustration. Your bitterness. But in reality, there are no such things as small sins because they all impact our relationships with God. They damage our relationships with others. And yet God forgives them all. All your iniquities. Everything that you have done, 
everything that you are doing and everything you will do is forgiven. I mean, that's a pretty nice benefit. And that's a pretty good place to start. If you're concerned, if you're worried, if you're anxious, the old saying goes to count your blessings. That's a blessing that you have in Christ. I mean, it goes on later in verse 10. David continues the theme. He says that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. But His steadfast love is great toward those who fear Him. His transgressions, our transgressions are removed as far as the east from the west. That's the overwhelming love that is extended to us. Everything that you've ever done that violates God's law, big or little, is forgiven. I mean, that's an awesome benefit. That's one sermon right there. Indeed, God's mercies are new every morning. And then God goes on to say, through David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He says, who heals all your diseases. Well, certainly there is evidence that God can and does heal physical disease. I think David is likely pointing us again to the spiritual disease that we face because of sin. Healing needs to take place in so many areas of our lives. I heard a story once about Tony Campola, who is a pastor and a professor. He was at a church in Oregon. And he prayed for a man who had cancer. In the middle of the week, he received a telephone call from the man's wife. And she said, you know, uh, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And he said, had? Whoa, it's happened. And then she said, he died. Well, Campolo felt terrible. He said, uh, and the woman said to him, don't feel bad. When he came to church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time. And he hated God. He was only 58 years old and he wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He was angry that his all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew toward God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. After you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy came into him. These last three days have been the best days of our lives together. We've sung, we've laughed, we've read Scripture, we've prayed. Oh, they've been wonderful days. I called you to thank you for laying hands on him and praying for healing. And Tony says, then she said something incredibly profound. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. God can provide that kind of healing. We also, it says in the psalm, need to be redeemed from the pit. Verse 4. We are stuck, mired in sin, unable to crawl out of this pit, this deep, dark hole. Only the Lord can come in and draw us out. I I read a few months ago about this cave, a prehistoric cave that was found. And uh, there were all these prehistoric skeletons. But as they examined all the skeletons in there, what they realized that they were only carnivores. And it was actually a big hole in the ground. And then what would happen, they believe, is that a carnivore would be searching for some kind of prey. And they would go down and they would smell something in this hole and they would dump down in to get it. But then they would never be able to get out. They'd be trapped down inside that pit. And so while they might have a meal in there because something was in there, then they would starve to death. And then that smell would attract something else to come down and in there and they would be stuck. 
Well, in the same way, it's like we are people that are searching for something. We're trying to find something. We're looking and we, we want something. We have a, a taste for something and so we pursue it. But we get stuck down into this pit and we can't get out. But the Word says that, that we are redeemed from the pit. Because you see, God has intervened. Instead of leaving us for dead, mired in sin, God crowns us with steadfast love. What a turnaround there in verse 4. Redeemed from the pit and crowned with steadfast love and mercy. And steadfast love is that powerful word has said that we talked about so much in our study on the book of Ruth. That ever-loving kindness that God extends to His covenant people. Those who love Him, He satisfies, it says, with good. You know, often when we think about the word good, we think about, well, it's in comparison to, to great or terrific or fantastic. So to us, good means just kind of average. But in the Bible, good is not merely an adjective. It's a characteristic or an attribute of God Himself. God is good, the psalmist writes. So then what God does is also good. God's creation, maybe if you remember, if you've read recently, the uh, Genesis chapter 1, every time God created something, He would say, and it was good. And it was good. So His creation is good. His commands are good. The gifts that He gives are good. The Lord Himself in Psalm 100 is good. What would it be like if you and I were satisfied only with what was good? Never turning to that which was bad. How would we spend our time how would we spend our money? What would we think about? What would we eat? When we remember who God is and what He has done, good is completely satisfying. When we live our, our life for ourselves, good is merely boring or second best. But knowing that God is ultimately good means goodness is so much more. And what I want you to notice in these verses, it says that God forgives your iniquity, your diseases, saves you from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love, satisfied you with good. Notice that it's about you. I mean, God, yes, does these things in general for His people. But the psalmist writes, David writes this about you. God is doing this for you. So yes, God so loved the world, but He so loved you. I mean, don't we need to remember that today? God loves you. And the Holy Spirit through David continues to outline the benefits we ought not to forget. The Lord works righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. If you've ever experienced injustice, you know how hopeless it can make you feel. There's no one that's there to appeal for you. There's no one that can stand up for the unfair treatment. There's no one there. But the Lord, it says, stands with the oppressed. Even when they feel like they're alone, even then the Lord is with them. And then more benefits. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, how many of you have felt at some point or other that God is angry with you? How many people in the world today think that God is essentially angry with them? It's possible that you're experiencing that right now. But David says, God does not deal with us according to our sins. He is like a father who shows compassion to His children. The Lord shows compassion 
to those who fear them. You think about this, if, if you're a father, you know, you have a child, and my, mine are young, so we're dealing with this a lot right now, but when a child is running and they fall down and they skin their knee or their elbow and they cry, you just run over to them and you pick them up. Now, of course, you know, you shouldn't be running uh, with socks on in the kitchen. Uh, or you need to be more careful and stay under control. But you don't sit there and say, look, before I put this Band-Aid on your knee, I want to make sure you understand the rules here. You scoop them up and you pick them up. You show compassion upon them. And that's what God does for us. Yes, there is a time for correction. And not to say that every time we get hurt, it's our fault. But the reality is is that God shows His compassion to us. He loves us and He cares for us like a loving Father. And on a, on a day that we celebrate fathers, isn't that a good reminder to know that, that, we, uh, that many of us have had wonderful fathers, but some of us have not had great fathers. But the reason that we're even able to know the difference between a good father and a bad father is because we have a heavenly father who is so wonderful, who is so glorious, who is so great, that we can, we can understand there's a standard. And that we know this father in heaven loves us that He cares for us, and that He moves us, those of us who are fathers, to be the kind of fathers that He would call us to be. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, verse 17, on His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. You know, if you were applying for a job, and the person in the human resources department said, well, here's your salary, um, and here's your benefits. You would say, I hit the jackpot with this job. Think about the benefits that we receive. God's eternal love for you? Yes, forever and for always. It's true. It's yours, and it's part of this benefit package right here. You just get it. It's part of the package. It goes with the job. It's just um, an add-on to your salary. And so then you would ask the question, so they're free? Well, yes, in that you don't have to pay for them. Uh, but they cost something, because for your employer, they cost something to give you those benefits. And in the same way, it costs something to get these benefits. You see, it costs God's one and only Son, His very life. If we go back through these verses and we, and we read through them again, who forgives all your iniquity. Jesus took on our iniquity so that it could be forgiven. Jesus took on the diseases that we have, the sin that corrupts us, so that He could bring healing to us. He allowed Himself essentially to go into a pit. He was buried in the ground for three days so that we could experience redemption and grace. Jesus gave up His crown so that we might receive a crown. Jesus revealed to us true goodness so that we would know what it means to be good in God's sight. Jesus became oppressed so that we would receive mercy and not justice. For we deserve justice, but we receive mercy. Jesus took on the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might experience joy. Jesus gave everything so that we would know the Father's love for us. His passionate, pursuing, never-ending, never-giving-up, life-giving, soul-sacrificing, laying-down-his-life love for us. 
Dr. Thomas Lambie was uh, a missionary, a medical missionary in Ethiopia. And after some time, he was there. He wanted to buy some land to uh, build a mission station. But there was a law in Ethiopia that said no land could be sold to foreigners. But because Dr. Lambie had such a great love for Christ and for the Ethiopians, he, he gave up his American citizenship and became an Ethiopian citizen. And then he was able to buy the properties he needed for his work. Well, eventually the United States government restored his citizenship. But we think about this great act of sacrifice, willingness to give up his citizenship for the sake of others. We think about this, the Lord Jesus Christ gave up his own citizenship in heaven so that we would be able to experience relationship with God. And in light of that kind of self-sacrificing love, we praise Him, we worship Him, we exalt Him, we glorify Him. And that's why we bless the Lord with all our soul and all that is within us. We bless His holy name. Will you pray with me?